My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome as we continue our day here uh, going through the Word of God. And uh, wherever you're up to right now, I just pray that uh, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the goodness of His Word. Today we're continuing through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 10 to 16, which is where the Apostle Paul starts to answer some questions about divorce. Uh, these are all issues that the church in Corinth wrote a letter to the Apostle Paul. We don't have a copy of that letter, but they wrote to him asking him to help them solve issues that they had amongst themselves. And that's really what the book of 1 Corinthians is all about. So let's get into uh, verse 10 of chapter 7. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. In this chapter, Paul is answering all these questions, and he's already dealt with the questions about whether it's good to be single or married. He's already dealt with about whether you are supposed to abstain from sex in a marriage, whether you are meant to have sex in a marriage, uh, what are you allowed to do with sex in a marriage, can you withhold it from one or the other. And now he says, now to thee. So he's indicating that he's now moving in a different direction. And these questions here are about marriages where both partners are Christians. That's what he's talking about here. And he will deal with other situations in the verses that are coming up. But right now he's talking about two Christians. A wife is not to depart from her husband. The church in Corinth were wondering whether it might be more spiritual to be single. Uh, maybe, oh, we're married. Maybe we should break up and we'll be more spiritual if we do that because it will be for the cause of a greater holiness. And Paul says, straight from the heart of the Lord, absolutely not. And he says, even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Paul, in addressing a marriage where both partners are Christians, says that they should not and should never break up the marriage in a misguided search for higher spirituality. If one of them does depart from their spouse, they have to remain unmarried or be reconciled. Now, this connects with the two specific grounds that God gives us in his word to recognize a divorce, which is one, when there is sexual immorality, Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 9, and when a believing partner is deserted by an unbelieving spouse in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. On any other grounds, God will not recognize divorce, even if the, the state does, the government does. If God doesn't recognize a divorce, then the individual is not free to remarry in God's eyes. They can only be reconciled to their former spouse. And Jesus said, the one who divorces for invalid reasons and then marries another commits adultery. Matthew 19 verse 9. And whoever marries her is divorced. Who is divorced commits adultery. When, when Jesus' disciples understood how incredibly binding the marriage covenant was and how it could not be broken in the sight of God for any reason, they responded in Matthew chapter 19, well, if such is the case of the man with his wife, then it's better not to marry. They understood Jesus perfectly and so should everybody today 
before you enter into the covenant of marriage, understand that there isn't an out apart from those two areas that God gives you. But even then, God says, I still hate divorce, even when it happens in those because of those reasons. So if, if somebody says, um, which I've heard as a pastor, look, I, I God told me that he doesn't want me to be married to this person anymore, or God's brought somebody better into my life. You're wrong. You're deceived. You are listening to the devil and not God. Because God never recognizes a divorce for such reasons. So I can say as strongly as that because I know with absolute certainty from the word of God that you are deceived. So Paul says, if she does depart, a Christian couple may in fact separate for reasons that actually do not justify biblical divorce. Some people split up a marriage through a misguided sense of spirituality. Some people just leave because they're unhappy. Uh, because of conflict, because of abuse. They're miserable uh, because of addictions of the other party. Poverty. Paul recognises, without encouraging, but he recognises that you might depart in such circumstances, but you can't consider yourself divorced with the right to remarry because the marriage are not split up for reasons that the Bible gives you justification to be divorced under. Now, These problems, no doubt, do justify a separation, to depart. But the partners in these circumstances are expected to honour their marriage vows, even in the separation, because as far as God's concerned, they're still married. The marriage covenant has not been broken for what God considers to be spiritual or biblical reasons. You can live separate, but don't live single. And then he says, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Paul applies the same principles to husbands as he does to wives. He makes the important distinction between the one who might depart separation while still honouring the marriage covenant and one who might divorce. So again, we've got those two reasons that we talked about, sexual immorality, unbeliever deserting, uh, a believing spouse. Apart from those two things, two Christians never have a valid reason for divorce. Also understand that Jesus never commanded divorce in the case of sexual immorality. He just says it's permitted and that permission was given because of the hardness of your hearts in Matthew chapter 19, verse 8 is what Jesus said. So then Paul now is about to go on and talk about divorce and remarriage when a Christian is married to an unbelieving spouse in verse 12. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So Paul starts off this by saying, but to the rest. He's now 
shifting his focus from the people he was previously talking to, couples where both parties were Christians, and he's speaking to any brother who has a wife who does not believe and the woman who has a husband who does not believe. And he says, I, not the Lord. Guzik says this, we should not think Paul is in any less inspired by the Holy Spirit on this point. When he says, I, not the Lord, he simply means that Jesus did not teach on this specific point as he had in the previous situation in Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9. So if Jesus did not speak on this specific point, Jesus inspired Apostle Paul will. This is a clue that Paul may not have been conscious of the degree of inspiration he worked under as he wrote 1 Corinthians and perhaps other letters. He simply knows that though he based his remarks on 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 11, on what Jesus taught in Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9, he has no specific recorded command from Jesus in the case of a Christian married to an unbelieving spouse. He knew that he wrote with God's authority to the church in Corinth, but he may not have known he spoke with authority to all the church for all the ages and was used to pen God's eternal word. But if Paul was not aware of how inspired his words were, they are no less inspired because of that. So then Paul says, let him not divorce her. If there were some Christian couples in the church in Corinth who thought that they'd be more spiritual if they actually divorced, which he addressed earlier in this chapter. What about Christian Corinthians uh, who married to who married to unbelievers? They possibly thought, well, God can't be glorified if I'm married to somebody who doesn't believe in God. So for the sake of me being spiritually holy, I will divorce them. And Paul says, no, 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 let him not divorce her. The spiritual concern is valid. Um, the reason for not marrying an unbeliever, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to get into that later on. But it's not a reason for ending an existing marriage with an unbeliever. So you're not meant to enter into marriage. If you're a believer, you're not meant to marry somebody who's not a believer. But if you are in a marriage and you find yourself in that situation, then God doesn't give you a way out because of that. Now, then he goes on and he talks about some very interesting points. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Why should a Christian try to keep their marriage to a non-Christian together? Because God can be glorified in such a marriage and he can do a work through the believing spouse to draw the unbelieving spouse to Jesus Christ. This is very important. Sanctified in this context does not mean that the unbelieving spouse is saved just by being married to a Christian. It means that they are set apart, sanctified for a special working in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit by virtue of being so close and married to somebody who is a Christian. That's why then he goes on and says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Not only does the presence of a believing spouse do something good for an unbelieving spouse, it also does good for the children and a lot of good because it can be said that they are now holy. This is an assurance that the children of a Christian parent are saved until they come to an age of personal accountability which differs with every single child. Only God knows what that age is. Only he knows when they are actually capable of making that decision to follow him for themselves. 
but we have no similar assurance for the children of parents who are not Christians. In fact, the sense of this text actually argues against it. How could Paul claim that it was a benefit for a Christian parent to be in the home if the same benefit automatically applies to the children of non-Christians? Paul also says, otherwise your children would be unclean, clearly giving the sense that apart from the presence of a Christian parent, the child is not regarded as holy, but rather as unclean. These are these are difficult concepts for us to digest. If the children of non-Christian parents are saved and do go to heaven, even some of them, it's important to understand that it is not because they are innocent. As sons and daughters of a guilty Adam, we are all born guilty. And if children of non-Christian parents do go to heaven, it's not because they are deserving in their innocence. It is be It would purely be because of the rich mercy of God that has been extended to them. Always remember that God is just and fair. And always remember that he's a God of mercy. There, there are punishments we deserve that God chooses to withhold from us. If the unbeliever departs, let him depart. Paul had counseled that the Christian partner should do whatever they can to keep the marriage together. But if the unbelieving spouse refuses to be married, the marriage can be broken. But this isn't to be initiated or sought by the believer. And if the unbelieving spouse should depart, the Christian is not under bondage to the marriage covenant. This means they're in fact free to remarry because God has recognized their divorce as a valid divorce. So then he says, for how do you know? Paul ends this section with a great deal of hope because many Christians who are married to unbelievers are discouraged. They should know that with faith and patience, they can look forward to God to do something to work in their present circumstances as hard and difficult as they may be. Because Christians married to unbelievers should also know what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, that your unbelieving spouse will probably not be led to Jesus by your words, but by your godly and loving conduct. Now, Barclay says this as we close this particular portion today. Tragically, much of the early church did not heed God's word to keep marriages together. As much as possible when married to unbelievers. One of the great heathen complaints against the early Christians was that Christianity broke up families. One of the first charges brought against Christians was tampering with domestic relationships. Paul had to address this to the church in Corinth and he addresses it to us, the church for the ages. So what do we observe out of that? I think we observe Many things, I can tell you one of the things I've deserved, that there are some things in life that are difficult to go through. And I know that people are in some very difficult marriages and they're not easy. And I, I, I encourage you to, to do whatever you can to live within the bounds of what God has asked you to live within. And if you need to depart for whatever reason, make sure that you do it in a way that the Bible says to do it. That's all. 
Give yourself the opportunity to continue to live a blessed life if that's what you need to do. Um, so yeah, I'm going to leave it at that today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your clarity in this particular topic. And I pray, Lord, for anybody who's watching this today and that they're in a very difficult marriage. I pray, Lord, right now for peace and strength to be theirs and for you to allow them to navigate this very difficult situation with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ himself. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.